we've been doing a series asking this question. What's normal anyways? You ever feel abnormal? You ever wonder what's normal in this world? You're trying to serve Jesus. Everybody around you is different. Last night, Josh called us. He's Josh's his National Guard weekend. And he called us because he's just kind of bummed out because um, he's sitting in a hotel room. They, they've got to be there for multiple days every month. And, and they sit there. And he said, Dad, or he called me. He's talking to Suzanne. We were driving together. And he said, everybody's going out to the bars. And I'm sitting in my hotel room. He said, I went to this store by myself and that store by myself and that store by myself. I'm bored to death. And they're all saying, come on, go to the bars with us. He goes, I'm not going to the bars. And so we were really talking about what's normal anyway. You know, what's normal? And he said, I'm not, I'm not going out drinking with a bunch of army guys. You know, and I said, praise the Lord. You know, um, you know nothing good could come out of that. And, um, and so we ask ourselves this all the time. He was asking really a question, what's normal? You know, they all, because they were all doing it, their normal was that. But we understand when we read the Word of God that normal looks a lot different than the culture around us. And what I want for you and I want for me is that our shape of what's normal comes from God's Word that we get normal out of here, not from TV shows, not from other media. And you know, understand this, look at this side. Fox News isn't normal. Some of times, some people are kind of, you know, right-wing conservatives. You know what? God loves left-wing liberals and right-wing conservatives. And the fact of the matter is, Fox News or MSNBC aren't normal. What's normal is, is Jesus. That's how God created us to be normal. So what we've been doing, and we're going to do for a little over three months, is we're looking at what's normal. And I challenge you to do something as we're trying to say, let the book of Acts define for us, because the history book of the New Testament define to us what's normal, I ask you to do something. I ask you to begin to read a chapter a day in the book of Acts. So what's the day today? The ninth? So chapter 9 today. Chapter 10 tomorrow. Chapter 11 the next day. And um, one chapter a day. And if you do that, by the time we're done with this series, you will have read the book of Acts three times. And what's going to start to happen is you're going to see it begin to fit together. You're going to be able to see the big picture that God's trying to paint. And that's what I'm trying to accomplish in this series. Letting you see the big picture of what's normal so that we know how to live and how to act. And um, as you've been doing that, I'm just believing by faith you've been doing that. And so uh, that you've been reading the book of Acts. As you've been reading through the book of Acts, I'm sure that something, uh, one thing in particular has been jumping out at you. And if not, I know you're not reading it. And this is one thing. I think it's the main thing that jumps out. Is that if you read the book of Acts from start to finish, you find out that God did a bunch of really awesome things in the lives of the people recorded in the book of Acts. There's like all these miracles that take place. The book of Acts is anything but boring. It really is. It's, it's unbelievably full of action and full of miracles. From the first verse to the last verse, it's filled with people experiencing God's supernatural activity. And that's what I want to look at today as, as normal. What's normal anyways from the book of Acts? One thing that's normal we see is people experiencing God's supernatural activity. Think about as you, as you have an overview of the book of Acts, and I'm going to assume you have, you're getting an overview, that think about some of the things that we see recorded in the lives of the people of that early church. In the very beginning, we see that God has tongues of fire. I'm not sure exactly what that looks like. We see artists trying to paint pictures of it. looks like little, you know, little tongues of fire on people's heads. They have tongues of fire come and sit on people's heads, as best we can understand it. And all the people there in that room, 
start preaching, basically, the truth of the gospel in languages they never learned before, running out in the streets, basically, and people are going, they're all drunk. You know, pretty amazing. Um, we see in the book of Acts that God, it, it, that God heals of this, lame, this, this lame man, this beggar, who's sitting at a gate of a temple, of, of God's temple. You, for year after year, he's sitting there, and all of a sudden, God's followers come up, and they say, we don't have any silver or gold, but what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus, rise and walk, and he's healed. We see that he caused two Christians one day, husband and wife team, to fall over dead in the church because they lied about a money matter. (laughs) Say, oh, God's just fluffy and Santa Claus God up in heaven. Two people, husband and wife, lied about a money matter, and it says God struck them dead, and they fell dead in the church. Um, That's pretty amazing. That we see in the book of Acts, he healed all kinds of sick people, and it's interesting, he repeatedly talks about he healed paralyzed people. And I, I never noticed that before until this continual reading of the book of Acts. He's always pointing out in particular, he's healing people who are paralyzed. Um, when I referred to something earlier, another great thing he did, he uh, one day speaks to this guy, Philip, who's an evangelist, and uh, he tells him to go to this certain road, and he doesn't really know why, but just go there because you're going to tell somebody about Jesus. And when he's there, he finds that chariot with a government official in it, from a foreign country, and the guy's reading scripture, and he says, do you know what you're reading? He says, how do I know unless somebody explains it? So he explains it, and that's the guy who says, okay, that I, I believe this. Can I be baptized in that water right there? And he gets baptized, but, and that's all cool and, and, and magnificent and, and miraculous, but the really cool thing is um, he's a Star Trek moment after that. It says in the text that he baptized him, and then he just vanishes, and he finds himself in a new location. You know, it says, beam me up, Scotty, situation. That takes place. I kind of wonder if that's not where they got it from. This idea, seriously, this idea of you're here one minute, shoop, he's gone. The scripture says that happened to Philip. Um, one day he knocks down this, this leader of the Jewish church, Saul, who later becomes Paul, with this fire from heaven. And he falls on his knees and he gets blinded and he, he comes to know Jesus and then he's healed and he becomes this great minister to the Gentiles. He one day has Peter, a leader of the church, raise a dead lady um, she's died, and she's a just very well-known lady, and he prays for her, and she comes back from the dead. He appears throughout the book in visions. He has angels come and talk with people. He sets people free from prisons with earthquakes and with, with angels he sends there. He, um, he blinds the eyes of a magician one day who's standing opposed to Paul when he's preaching, and Paul says, you're going to be blind now, and the guy goes blind. You know, all of these miraculous things from start to finish, the people of the early church experienced the supernatural activity of God. And to them, as, as we look at it, now we understand we're looking at a, at a large t- group, a, a large span of time. Um, but in this span of time, there was multiple experiences of the divine supernatural activity of God. And so for them, um, although it probably didn't occur every day, there was the sense that God did these divine things, so they looked for as normal the divine intervention of the activity of God. And I think the question that we need to ask ourselves is, if we're honest, if we're going to be what's normal like them, do we? Do we expect the supernatural activity of God in our lives? Do we expect the supernatural activity of God in our church? Do you expect it when you're... When you're um, in the grocery store and when you're at work, do you expect that God, you're looking for the supernatural intervention activity of God 
in your life? Well, according to the book of Acts, we should. You know, Acts records the birth of the church and reveals to us what ought to be normal for those who follow Jesus. So God's activity supernaturally should be expected and experienced among God's people. Now, with that being the case, what I want to do today is to point out a few things about the supernatural activity of God from the book of Acts so that we can be expecting and welcoming his activities in our situations. See, because that's what I want for me, just selfishly. Um, I think it's a good thing to be selfish for, to be hungry for, is the activity of God in your life. And I hope that's what you want in your life. I hope that, that one thing God has, a plan God has, is he lets us muddle through normalcy and human effort in our lives. It's one thing that growing old teaches you. And you get a little older and you go, is this it? Is there really not more? And that's what he wants you to do. He wants you to say, isn't there more? Because more is God's activity and reality in your life. So it's what I want for me. It's what I want for you. I want something more than just human effort and activity um, in our life and in the church. I want something more. So some things that we learn about the um, supernatural activity of God from the book of Acts that, so that we can watch for and experience the supernatural activity. The first thing I want to point out about the supernatural activity of God, I want us to understand, is that this. The supernatural activity of God is the activity of the Holy Spirit in and through the life of God's people. That's the first thing. That's the foundational thing I want you to get. Um, The supernatural activity of God is the activity of the Holy Spirit in and through the life of God's people. The activity of God is the activity of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. That's what, that's what the divine activity of God is. This, friends, is the, is the foundation upon which this book of Acts is built. The author, who, who's the author of Acts? Have you figured it out yet? A guy named Luke. He begins writing Acts by explaining that the life and activity of the church is to be the life and activity of the Holy Spirit through God's people. Grab your Bible. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Want to know something interesting? Did you turn there first? You have a Bible, you know, you know when you have your Bible and the text is the, the translated word of God that was inspired in its original autographs, but then you have these headings, like mine says the Acts of the Apostles on top, and then you have Introduction, the Ascension, the Upper Room on my Bible, um, that a lot of people, this heading, that the Acts of the Apostles, that's something that people put, just put on there. It wasn't, it, no, it makes no claim to be divinely inspired. So the word introduction wasn't in the original letter and ascension that here just wasn't in here. But you know, a lot of people um, believe that, the, that that heading is really wrong, that it shouldn't be, that it's, it's mis, a misrepresentation, that it shouldn't be the acts of the apostles, that a lot of people believe it should say the acts of the Holy Spirit because that's what the book of Acts is all about. I'm going to show you that. It's about the activity of the Holy Spirit through God's people. It's the foundation of the supernatural activity of God. So grab your Bible. Look at, look at Acts chapter 1. Let's look at the first eight verses. It says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do in Cheech, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. 
gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. And me is who? Jesus. He said, for Jesus said, for John the baptized, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit, be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Luke here, the reason I started at the beginning, I'm here to show you, Luke is saying, this is why I'm writing. Luke is writing to this man named Theophilus, who is probably some very rich man who's commissioned him to investigate Christianity. He wrote the gospel already of Luke for that reason. Now he's carrying on. So Luke is writing to Theophilus about what's been going on with the development of Christianity. And the first thing he writes is that, that is all about the Holy Spirit's empowerment of God's people and the Holy Spirit's activity through those people. Verse one eight, or verse chapter 1, verse 8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. You see, the Holy Spirit's power and activity is what we see revealed through the early church as they took the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the remotest parts of the earth. The visions that we see in Acts, the healings we see in Acts, the prison escapes we see in Acts, the resurrections are all the activity of the Holy Spirit through God's people. Those activities, they are the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation, and they are the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit in situations. Therefore, to experience the supernatural activity of God, it is imperative that his people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, is all about. It's an explanation that as of that day, now, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's fullness is now available to all of Jesus' followers, men and women, young and old, where in the past, um, the Holy Spirit only came upon certain people for certain, uh, certain times to accomplish certain things. But now God's Holy Spirit has come upon all people and all of God's followers Christ followers can be filled with the Spirit. Look at, just flip over one page of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 is, is um, the, talking about the sermon that has been preached, um, that, that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and the first two verses says this, And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my Spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they will prophesy. So we understand from the text here that the supernatural activity of God is the activity of the Holy Spirit now available to everybody. That the, the, the activity of God to do amazing things by his spirit is not the power of the clergy. It's not the authority of a particular church. It is God by his spirit working in and through the lives of those who surrender themselves to the fullness of the spirit and walk in obedience to his leading. I want to say that again. You understand that what this is all about. The activity of God, it is God by 
the Holy Spirit working in and through the lives of those who have surrendered themselves to the fullness of the Spirit and then walk in obedience to his leadings. And so how does that work? We had a perfect example of it today. So some girl is a student at Whitewater, and God speaks to her and says, she, and she, believe me, it wasn't, she didn't, I don't even know who the girl is, but she didn't, it wasn't like an angel walked up to her. She had a sense from the spirit that you're going to witness to somebody in the library. And then that day she has a sense, you know what? I'm not only going to witness somebody in the library, it's going to be a girl with a green shirt. And so she goes to the library and she sees a girl with a green shirt and she tells her about Jesus. And that girl, Ashley, comes to know Christ. Because it was a divine activity of the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit then prompts you to maybe pray for somebody, the Lord prompts you, you don't, your neighbor's sick, and the Spirit says, you got to go pray for them. You pray, and you trust him to do what only he can do. You trust him to do his supernatural activity. The supernaturalness of the church is the supernatural activity of the Holy Spirit. That's our foundation. Do you get that? It's not about a church. It's not about a pastor. It's about the Holy Spirit. And it happens through people being full of the Spirit, which comes through a yieldedness and an invitation for the Holy Spirit to come and control your life, and then a willingness to obey His promptings. That girl could have said, well, I just don't really feel like walking up to some strange blonde in the cafe or in the, in the library. That's kind of spooky to me. You know, and I, I'm, I'm, just, just, I'm just not that way, God. I'm, I'm shy. Guess what? God doesn't care who you are what you are. He loves to take shy people and have them do miraculous things because then he gets all the glory and you are amazed by what God can do. So the act of supernatural activity of God is the activity of the fullness of God in the lives and through the lives of God's people. That makes sense? That's the foundation. Now let's move on. The next thing we need to understand about the supernatural activity of God is that this, that it is usually tied to achieving and advancing God's mission. This is a key. So often church people miss this. But it is clear from the book of Acts that it is usually tied to the advancing and achieving of God's mission. Now we know what God's mission is. We, we, we looked at it a while back um, as we went through experiencing God. That um, repeatedly talked about the mission, what's the mission of God. Jesus said it himself. It is to seek and to save the lost. That's what scripture says. That the mission of God is to seek and to save the lost. As you read the book of Acts, notice that most, this is what I want you to do, as you begin to read verse by verse, check to make sure I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying to you. But you know what? You have a responsibility to make sure that what I'm saying lines up with this book. So I'm telling you, you check to see this. You will notice as you, as it, God wants you to not trust somebody else to feed you all the time. When you, begin, when you stop being children, you've got to feed yourself. So you've got to go and check these things. And God's going to even pour more into you. So I want you to go through the book of Acts and check and watch this. And you're going to go, wow, I never saw that. Some of you, I never saw that before, what I'm going to say right now. That, um, that most of the supernatural events that took place in the book of Acts specifically occurred to advance God's mission. It's why they happened. They validated, there's three things they did. They, number one, they validated what was being spoken to a new people group that they they. They would speak the gospel, and then they usually heal somebody, and they go, what they're saying must be true because the power of God is evident. So we see that they were, it validated what was being spoken to a new people group who didn't know the Lord yet, that also it directed God's people to new areas of ministry and spiritually hungry people, 
So the Holy Spirit, by a vision or an angel or something, would say, now go to this new place. Paul, go to Macedonia. He was taking them and challenging them to go to a new area where there's spiritually receptive people. And also, another acti- where we see the activity of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit protected and propelled God's messengers so they could spread God's message to more people. That we'll see all of the times that the activity of God occurs in the, Holy, in the book of Acts, they're surrounded around those three things. It's all about the advancement of the gospel. It's all about the advancement of the kingdom of God. Think about this. Think about some of the, 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 the big things in Acts you can probably remember. Ask yourself, why did God release Peter and Paul and Silas two different times? One time Peter from prison, one time Paul and Silas from prison. Why did he release them from the prisons that they were in? The answer is very clearly so that they were free to preach the gospel to more people and different people. God rescued them so they could advance the gospel, right? That's why he did it. Think about this. Why did God blind um, the, the sorcerer Elemis's, the magician's eyes, when Paul comes as an island and this guy's opposing Paul's preaching? Why did Paul say, God's going to blind you? And he was blinded. Very, very specific reason. Because Paul was ministering to this, this official of the government and this guy's saying, don't listen to him. And so this spiritually receptive guy is confused. And so what happens is, is God blinds his eyes so that the man would understand that this guy preaching um, is telling the truth. He took him to spiritually receptive people and then he validated his words. Why, um, you know, why would God, um, this God supernaturally direct the apostle Paul um, or Philip, we saw him about the guy in the chariot, Paul, go to Macedonia, why would he have done that? Say, don't go there. Instead, go to this certain location and do a miraculous way of getting them there. Because there were spiritually receptive people in those places who then got saved. You see, all the activity, you go through the book of Acts and you look, at every time there's a miracle recorded, all the activity, the miracles of God are recorded to show us that they were part of God's plan of advancing the mission of God. That's why they're there. We need to get this point. God's supernatural activity validates the gospel message and propels its messenger. It centers in the missional activity of God. So then we need to understand the flip side. So understand then what the supernatural activity of God is not. It's not Christian amusement. And that's what the church degenerates into all the time. It's just Christian amusement. I go to church and I got spiritual goosebumps. And of all the, the parts of the branches of Christianity in the world, Pentecostals and Charismatics are the most guilty of this. Man, we'll drive 50 miles to go get spiritual goosebumps somewhere. No, we'll drive 400 miles. We'll drive 2,000 miles to go get spiritual goosebumps. That's not the plan of God based on the book of Acts. It's not. It's not, it's, it's not about Christian amusement. It's not an experience to simply give more people a spiritual high in some church service somewhere. That's, we, never, we don't see it in the book of Acts. Now, we see a time in a church service in Acts where a guy falls out of a window because the preacher preached so loud along. A guy, a guy in a church in Michigan used to refer to me as windy because he said, I preached so long. You know what? I've never preached till somebody fell asleep and fell out of a window and died. And so, so I got nothing on Paul. But here's the deal. Sure, God went and healed that guy. 
through Paul, laid his hands on him, raised him from the dead. So God can heal somebody, and we come together, come to the elders' church, have your hands laid on, and God heals people all the time in church services. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. What I'm saying is it's about propelling the mission of God. It's not about spiritual goosebumps. It's not about Christian amusement. It's about advancing the kingdom of God. You know, most of the divine activity of God is tied to his mission, to evangelism, to seeking and saving the lost. And that's why people will say, well, how come missionaries come and tell all these stories? It's because they're advancing the gospel to people who have never heard it. And God's validating the word with signs following. That's why. And people say, why don't I experience it? Because you've never told anybody about Jesus. That's the truth. But stats tell us 95% of Christians never lead one person to Christ. They're saying, well, how come I don't experience the supernaturalness of God? Because the supernaturalness of God is tied to the mission of the gospel. And unless you're involved in the mission, you don't experience the supernaturalness of God. Therefore, if you want to experience the supernatural activity of God, then join God in his mission. Watch for where he is working in your neighborhood, in your family, in your workplace. You don't have to go overseas and join him. Then he will do amazing things in and through you. You know, it's why one day, well, I was thinking about it, it was about 22 years ago. Um, and I, some of you know the story, I've said it a few times probably, where I tore my vocal cords. And I was going to have to give up ministry. I couldn't, I couldn't preach. couldn't talk. Talk like this. And some lady after church walks up to me and says, God told me to pray for you. And I made jokes about it. It was true, though. I didn't even like the lady. <laughs> you know, she drove me crazy. And she grabbed me by the throat. And I'm like, I'm going to punch you because my throat hurt. I'm dead serious. I'm just being honest. I'm like, don't touch me. You know, I'm, my throat hurts. I'm tired. I'm, I'm frustrated. I got to quit ministry. And she prays for me. And I had no faith. Zero. And it felt like God dumped a 55-gallon drum of hot oil over my head. And God instantly, miraculously healed my vocal cords. And I, why? There's a reason for it. And there's a reason interesting beyond that. Um, there's, there's certain ranges I can't do anymore. Like in singing, I can't, I used to never sing great, but I could sing better because there are certain ranges I could sing. Now it's just like nothing comes out. And I asked the Lord, I said, why? He said, I'm going to remind you why I healed you. I healed you so you can preach my word. So whenever I try to sing, like, ah, nothing comes out. It's a reminder every single Sunday. Every Sunday I'm reminded, I healed you so you can preach the gospel. I gave you a voice so you can preach. That's why God does miracles, to advance his kingdom. So he may heal you of cancer because he wants to use you to reach your family for Christ. It's about the mission. It's not about spiritual goosebumps. So that's the second thing about the activity of God, supernatural activity of God. Let's keep moving. Look at another one because there's so much more to see here. Another thing we learn about the activity of God from the book of Acts is this. There is a connection between the supernatural activity of God and the praying of God's people. Repeatedly in the book of Acts, we find people praying, and then the Holy Spirit manifests his presence in some miraculous way. Think about the certain times in the Bible. Think about when the 120 were praying in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. What's it say? They were all together. They're praying waiting for the promise of the Father. They had no idea what that meant. They're together, they're praying on the day of Pentecost, and then the Holy Spirit falls upon them. These tongues of fire is speaking in all these, these languages to all the people around. Prayer, and then the miraculousness. Think of, think of the interaction in Acts chapter, chapters 10 and 11 of the stories of Cornelius, this Gentile, 
and Peter, who's on this rooftop praying, and how they both have visions. What it says is Cornelius is praying, and God speaks to him and says, go find this guy named, named Peter, Simon, who's at Simon the Tanner's house. And Peter's on the roof praying, and he has a vision from God, and God says, shows, remember, he chops his sheet down, and he sees all these animals. He says, kill and eat, kill and eat. He's like, never, God, I'm a Jew. I can't eat that. And he says, God's speaking to him, not about animals. He's saying nothing. Don't, don't believe anything is unclean anymore. There are no unclean people, he's saying. The gospel goes to everybody. That's what he's telling Peter. And so this Gentile comes to his house. Peter understands, the Gentile understands, oh, we're supposed to connect. So Peter does what no Jew could do. He goes to the Gentile, goes in his house, preaches the gospel to his family, and everybody there, and they all come to know Christ. What happened? They were, Cornelius was praying, God spoke to him. Peter was praying, God spoke to him. The result, the gospel was advanced to a different people group. In Acts chapter 12, the church was praying it says, when an angel, and God sent an angel to set Peter free from prison. And the story says that Peter was going to be executed the very next day. They said he was going to bring him up before the people um, the very next day. So they're praying, and God sets them free. See, repeatedly in the book of Acts, we see the connection between prayer and God's activity. And I think there are two conclusions that we can draw from what we see in Acts about prayer and God's activity. Number one is, is simply this. It's simply that God responds to the prayers of his people. And I'm, honestly, I don't understand why God would do that. Because somehow God's tied his activity to the prayers of his people. If I was God, I would just do it with all people because people are rebellious. I am. You are. We don't often don't do it right. But we see that God simply responds to the prayers of his people. Scripture shows that somehow God has linked prayer to his activity. That God does things he otherwise would not do if his people didn't pray. That's why, you know what? Last night we'd prayer here. Prayer for service today. There's, what, 20 or 25 of us gathered for prayer. I'm looking for the day that the biggest service we have is a prayer service. That we actually believe this. Because here's the deal. We don't really believe this. If we did, we'd all show up for prayer. And I'm not being condemning in that. I'm saying this. We don't believe it to be true. We say we do, but we don't. Because if we did, we'd get together and pray because we see there's especially power in corporate prayer in Scripture. And if we really believed that God responded to, the, to his people, we couldn't wait to go to prayer. And so, so I'm waiting for the day, I'm praying for the day, I'm looking for the day that, that our church is defined as people who understand that prayer changes things. Because God does things he otherwise would not do when people pray. So a person given to prayer is more likely going to be involved in the activity of God. You know, in James it says this. It says, you don't have because you don't ask. So we ask God to move supernaturally, knowing that he responds in prayer. So that's the first thing that we can conclude by seeing there's a connection between prayer and the activity of God. The other thing, the conclusion we can draw from seeing the connection between prayer and God's activity is this. It is in prayer where God often directs us into his activity. It's while we're praying that God often speaks to us for his activity. It was Peter was praying, and God spoke about nothing's unclean. Cornelius was praying, and God said, go to this Jew, who he knew would never listen to him, but God said to do it. It's in prayer that God directs us. Grab your Bible ones. Look at Acts chapter 13. First couple of verses. You're going to find as we go through, through this series, a lot of times we're going to, go back to certain verses that we've looked at before and draw a different truth out of it um, 
because it's just, they're just pregnant with truth. And we looked at Acts 13 briefly in the, in the past. Acts 13, the first three verses. It says, now there were at, at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manion, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. What do we find here? We find a group of church leaders worshiping and fasting and praying. And in that environment, the Holy Spirit directs them to send Barnabas and Saul on their first missionary journey to go out with something that had never been done before. The first time in human history, the first Christian missionary journey came out of a prayer meeting. And think of this. If those men had not been praying and worshiping, is it possible, and this is conjecture, but I think it's reasonable to conclude it, is it possible that God would not have been able to direct them to send Barnabas and Saul? I think it's possible. Now, God might have done it in a different way at a different time because he's got a plan. But we know that it might not have happened. It happened because they had this environment where they were praying together, worshiping and fasting. And there's a reason God doesn't waste words in Scripture. There's a reason why he points out that they were in prayer and worship and fasting when he started, he set these guys aside to the first missionary journey. He's trying to teach us something. There's a connection between the activity of God and prayer. It's in prayer where God usually directs you into his mission. And it's in his mission where you usually encounter the supernatural activity of God. Are you seeing how that chain of events works? So it's in prayer that God often says, um, you know what, Cornelius? Go to, go, to, go to Peter. And then when you, in prayer, hear him and you obey, it's then in that mission where you usually encounter the supernatural activity of God. So if you want to be involved in the supernatural activity of God, then be a person who spends time in prayer and then follows the direction of God into his mission. You get that? You understand that prayer is not an end in itself? That prayer, God will direct you in prayer to be involved. He does. We see it here. He wants you to be involved. There's a, I've heard somebody say one time, don't ever pray for something unless you're willing to be part of the answer. So a lot of people say, oh, pray about that. Pray and be willing to be the answer that God's going to use supernaturally in people's lives. It's making sense so far? Amen. All right? Last thing, finally. There's just one more thing that I want to point out about the activity of God, and it's this. And this is a big one. This one you've got to get. Matter of fact, if somebody talks about God's supernatural activity and they don't believe this, run. Okay? Because here's what I want you to understand. It's a mystery. God's ways are God's ways. It's a mystery. We're not God. Turn back. Look at something. One of the greatest revelations of this in the book of Acts. Turn back to... to um, Acts chapter 12, one page back from where you just were. Look at the first five verses. It says, it's talking about the deliverance or the people being put in jail. It says, now about that time, Herod the king, verse 1, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to the four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people, and he's going to execute him, 
verse 5. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. What do we find here? We find something amazing here. First, we find James, the brother of John, is put to death. He's killed for being a Christian. Then what do we find? We find because it pleased the Jews, Herod has Peter arrested with the intent on putting him to death. death. And then verses 7 through 19, if you read those later, if you know what they're talking about, then tells about Peter's divine deliverance from that situation. He's, bo- he's chained up, guarded by all, these, by all these guards. You know, Herod's protecting him, and an angel comes in and supernaturally delivers him. Now, here's the question that you ought to ask about that chapter. Why did God miraculously save Peter and not James? You ever ask yourself those questions? Why did God miraculously save Peter through an intervention of an angel, but he didn't save James? There's only one answer. It's a mystery. God's ways are God's ways, and many times, as his followers, we won't understand why. Don't you think that John, you know, James's brother, the other half of the sons of thunder, remember, this is James and John, the disciples, the sons of thunder. You know, what a name. They must have been some pretty powerful guys who just, with, with great aggression, you know, wanted to advance the kingdom of God. Don't you think that John had to ask why? He had to. Say, really, God? I would have. I'd have said, how come my brother was killed and, and, and Peter wasn't? It'd be the only natural to ask. Why was that person healed, but this person isn't? I don't know. How come one time when we were in the process of moving, and I told you a story in the past, Brett broke his arm, fell down, broke his humerus bone, went in to have surgery on it three days later, and the doctor, same doctor, who one day sees a complete Complete fracture, gone, broken, two pieces. They go to do surgery three days later, and they're like, oh, we can't explain it, but his arm's not broken. Why did that happen one day for no apparent reason? I don't know why. But then he just had to have surgery to have a tumor removed off his adrenal gland four weeks ago. I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense to me. But you know what? I'm not God. It's a mystery. Why? God is God. And here's what I know about God from the scriptures and from life. We can trust him to be God. I'm comfortable trusting him to be God and doing what he knows to be best, even when it doesn't make sense to us. So we engage in his mission and we submit to the Holy Spirit and we pray and then we just trust God to be God. That's the way we walk through life, to have a supernatural experience with God. So when we ask this question about the supernatural activity of God, what's normal anyways? What's normal is experiencing God's supernatural, God's supernatural activity in our lives. That God is God, and God is still achieving his mission, so God still does the supernatural. So we need to be people filled with the Spirit, who spend time in prayer, who advance the mission of God and then just trust God. God, you do it your way. When we live like that, the supernatural activity of God, will be something in our lives so that you can do what the book of Acts can do and what what I was able to do today and say, look at these supernatural activities that I can recount from a life of just walking with Jesus. Here's what I know. God's not a respecter of people. He doesn't care who you are. You don't have to have Rev in front of your name. He wants to do supernatural things in your life, through your life. But I'm going to tell you something. They're, They're tied to the advancement of the kingdom. 
They're tied to prayer. They're tied to being full of the Holy Spirit. And they're tied to just trusting God to be God. And you know what? That's good enough for me. And I want that for you and I want that for me. I want to see the supernatural. I want Portview to be defined by the genuine supernatural activity of God. Because that will change this community. Right? Amen. What a great God we know and love. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's just join me in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for being you. Thank you that you do supernatural things in this day and age. Lord, I know some people want to say, you stop doing that. Um, But God, neither your word says that, nor does our experience say that. Your word and our experience prove that you're still in the process of doing the miraculous, the supernatural activity of the Holy Spirit in and through your people. Lord, we want to experience your fullness and your power. So, Lord, we ask, fill us with your spirit. God, fill us with your spirit fresh and anew. And, God, we give ourselves to your mission. We give ourselves to your priorities. We, by an act of our will, we put aside the priorities of the world. We say we want to be engaged in what's most important, what's eternal, your mission. God, stir our hearts this morning so that we would want to, we want to give ourselves to what's the highest, the best, the most exciting, which is being involved in your activity. 